becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you to make real. Passing note of the song. Glimmer, glimmer, of the ship being seen. Ready? To the shores. To the shores. Yes. Hmm. So good. What is happening? Bam. I don't know. Um. Uh, I guess just 15 seconds ago, I was really uh, happy that we've been doing this for so long. Yeah, were you? Yeah. You didn't say that out loud. Well, I did. Well, in my head. Oh, I did in my head. That's <laughs> the definition really of not out loud. <laughs> I uh, am too. 136 mm-hmm. episodes. That's that's no small thing. No. I still kind of feel like I don't know what we're doing here, like why it is that we're doing this or what this means. <laughs> keep doing it. But we keep doing it, uh-huh. and that seems important. It does. Diligence and discipline and mm-hmm. consistency and persistence and... <laughs> All those, you know, good words. Yeah. I feel like I'm just writing a, I just need a picture of a kitten, put it up on a poster and there's your inspirational poster. Well, I think you and I are like, we've been doing this for, for this long, I guess almost three and a half years now, three years, four years, Um, 19 or 18. Well, we started in, I think at the end of 2018. Yeah. September of 2000 or August of September 2018. Right. (laughs) But we were only doing sporadic episodes. And then I think it was at the beginning of 2020, we -hmm. sat down and made some sort of resolutions in our life. And one of them was to start taking this podcast more seriously. Mm. And we didn't know how to do that. And we thought, well, we can just start making an episode every week. That's a way to start. So for two years Mm -hmm. two, no, almost coming up on three, this at the end of this year will be the, three years of recording mm-hmm. every week. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So we made that plan and then COVID <laughs> smacked us all in the face, <laughs> but we persevered. We did. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that's interesting too. Cause I mean, we're, we're kind of talking about like kind of taking this a little bit outside of just you and I as a sort of practice that we do almost every week and kind of maybe doing some stuff with, promoting it a little bit more and yeah uh you know we spend <laughs> we spend a certain amount of money on this a month and maybe like bringing some people in to maybe help with that too gonna turn it into an actual business yeah yeah i mean we love doing this and we hope you guys do too and mm. listening to it so i don't know some thoughts around that kind of interesting for us to explore that's why we're here mm-hmm. to explore <laughs> explore exactly so we were talking before the podcast about how it has felt for the last several weeks, at least maybe, I don't know if you agree with this. Mm-hmm. It's felt for the last several weeks, like we kind of, <clears throat> we've been showing up and we haven't really had an idea of what we wanted to talk about. Mm. We're always able to get through an episode, you know, to have conversation that's meaningful to us at least, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Um, but it feels like a season, like a lull um, where I don't know. I'm not quite sure what I'm thinking about throughout the week, you know, and there's a lot of things to pay attention to in the world and the news and the country. Um, you know, and I've got sort of many trains of thoughts going, mm-hmm. but nothing's sort of jumping out at me as like, I want to talk about this this week on the podcast. And, um, I was mentioning that to you and you said, uh, something about process, like, mm. like it's kind of natural that yeah. 
you're working on things, you're asking questions, you're paying attention to certain things, and then maybe it kind of starts making sense, whatever those things are, and then you've got to, got to look around and, and find the next question mm-hmm. or the next set of questions. Yeah. And that kind of feels like where we are mm-hmm. with this podcast endeavor. What's the next set of questions we want to work on? Yeah, because I mean, it's interesting, like you and I before and after the podcast, I mean, it's not like we don't have plenty to talk about, but I, th- I think it's something when we sit down at the mics and what we're going to talk about in front of you guys, it seems it's a little bit different in some regards. Um, you know, there's a, there's a part where you're kind of searching for what I'm asking a question, but I don't know what the question is. And so you kind of flutter around and, and poke and prod at different things. And you kind of follow some certain rabbit trails that kind of take you down different avenues that you explore for a period of time. And you're like, I don't know about that. And you kind of pop out and go down another rabbit trail and at some point, like those rabbit trails start to kind of converge and, and you kind of get something that sort of flows out of them. And I think that's those, when those, they start to converge, I think that's whenever they kind of make it more on the podcast, even though we're still exploring and maybe don't know yeah. <laughs> exactly where we're, where we're going with it. But you and I, I mean, I would say you tend to have more definitive statements, uh, you know, as far as like, like, here's what I'm thinking about. And then you would kind of explore it there. It's like, you know, I come at it more of like, I don't know what I'm thinking about. <laughs> Here's the, I'm more of like Jackson Pollock and you're like, uh, you're like, a, I'm like a the interpreter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that word convergence is interesting in, in the design world, which is kind of the world I live in, in, mm-hmm. in tech design engineering. Um, when you're trying to design something, the idea is that it's a repeated process of divergence and convergence. Hmm. And the divergence part is you need to generate as many ideas as possible. And those ideas are going to start to diverge. The Hmm. picture is going to start to look less clear and more low resolution because you're just all over the place. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to essentially start and you want to, in the creative process, you, you want to do that with as little judgment as possible because the idea is idea generation not idea judgment. Mm. And then once you've generated enough ideas, well, what do you have? You have something that's a bit chaotic. And so you've got to now converge And that convergence process, the culling process, the judgment process, um, whittles you down to a set of ideas that you think are good. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the convergence process, you're right. It's like, that's the stuff that ends up on the podcast because that's the place where you can articulate Hmm. is when you're in the divergent space in the space of generating ideas, you can't articulate much about them. You don't know what they are or where they fit or whether, whether they fit at all or Hmm. whether they're meaningful. It's when things converge, that's when you can start to say something about them. It's super interesting. There's a, there's a part too, and like in kind of my entrepreneurial process, I do kind of feel like at points I kind of lose uh, the people around me a little bit, they're like, what is, what is Michael doing right now? And they don't see all the things I'm looking at behind the scenes and exploring all these different ideas. Mm. And so it could be like three or four months. And it's like, I, I could just, I could just imagine people being like, what is Michael doing? <laughs> Besides like the normal business stuff, you know, yeah. it's like, uh, and then like, we'll come out with something and then I'll present it to the team. And then it starts to kind of like, 
I've converged it to a certain point. It's still loose. Mm -hmm. And then I bring it to the team and then they bring it more to a point, you know, right. And how to execute that. And something like throughout, throughout time, it's like, I've kind of learned to, uh, especially with Allison also is not to bring all my crazy ass ideas <laughs> at once. <laughs> yeah. Matt, Matt has a little bit more tolerance for me in this area. Uh, and you know, it's like, but you have to figure out like how well of a formed of an idea do you need to have to present it to somebody? Because, um, you know, there's, there's different, I think there's different levels of that. Like if you're not going to bring a crazy idea to your baristas, because that's not in the realm of where they're functioning mm-hmm. in. And that might, it might seem like, well, you're not actually, you know what the problem is, is we don't have our straw container is not working. That's the problem. Like what you're thinking of is not the problem, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it's like, so you kind of need that kind of conversions down into the practical. Cause like the barista is like on the practical level, we have a product, we have a customer base and we need to serve and, uh, and help them achieve, you know, what they, what they need to, you know, in order to achieve that sort of customer service and product that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. And so the, so managers are kind of like that next, the next level up of where they kind of have to deal with a little bit of the abstract, but still the practical part is, is how do I get the baristas, the tools that they need in order to accomplish the job that they have on the front line of the practical. Right. And then kind of, as you get up, it gets more abstract and you have to, each person has to bring it down to more tangible levels right, for each right. all the way to the practical moment, you know? Hmm. Well, it kind of reminds <clears throat> me, I think I said this on one of the last couple of episodes, this, this phrase that I've been kicking around in my head for a bit, which is, um, everything is pretend until it's judged. Hmm. And what I was thinking about in that is <clears throat> watching, my 13 year old daughter cheer for the eighth grade football players, Mm. you know, how do you start doing something or how do you become something? It's like you pretend to be it Mm. until it's obvious that you are it, you know, and that's, that's a process of refinement, a process of, um, upskilling, but also a process of judgment. It's like, when Mm. do you become a football player? When do you become a cheerleader? Um, it's the same with ideas. When does the, when does the process become the process, you know, mm-hmm. sticking with the, the coffee shop? Yeah. It's a, it's a series of judgments that are made down a chain of command until the process is executed. And now it is what it is. Hmm. It's a thing. Manifest, yeah. yeah. It's manifested. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Like, Cause again, that, that whole, the whole example you've brought up is, is when are you a football player? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, there's something very useful in the way that we play games is that you are, you are basically declaring I am a football player because before you're just practicing, you're not a football player. You're, you're practicing something, but what are you practicing for? It's, it's for a reason. And the game kind of gives you that sort of like container of sort of like, this is it. That's interesting. I mean, the, the, the language even that we use like mm. practice, Yeah, you're practicing. That's, that's like pretending I'm pretending I'm practicing, practicing for what? I mean, if you, you can't really say that you're a footballer or a football player, mm-hmm. depending on the sport you want to go with. <laughs> um, if all you've ever done is mm. practiced, it's like you're not until you play a game 
And that's something of a judgment. It's like you play and you either win or you lose, Mm -hmm. but you went to the field, you showed up, you engaged in the competition that makes you a footballer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything else is sort of more recreational. We even even use that in our language. It's like, Oh, I play, I play soccer recreationally, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. It's like, are you soccer players? Like, well, yeah, you know, it, it, but like if you actually compete, you know, the, um, uh, Austin FC, you know, you know, they don't do that recreationally. Yeah. That's actually professional, which is another level of like, right. You know, uh, high school to like a professional football player, mm-hmm. you know, footballer. <laughs> but yeah, I do think it does feel to me like both you and I are in a stage of maybe at the beginning of a stage of divergence hmm. in the, in our thoughts. Yeah. I think we kind of can had some, some convergence there for a while. And now, you know, when I, as I kind of test that against my activities over the last couple of weeks, I, like I notice when I think back that I've been writing a lot, like generating a lot of content, although it's not really surfacing anywhere. Hmm. Like I haven't been posting any of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to be coming out in the podcast. I mean, I think we struggled through in the episode last week, um, some of the output of, of, of that mm-hmm. theme of forgiveness that came from um, me going to that Marcus Mumford show and some of the writing I did after that. But there's been a bunch of other things that I've been writing about, just like tons and tons of content. That's like divergence. Mm-hmm. It's like just spilling everything out. What is it? I don't know. Is it good? I don't know. Is it worth talking about? I don't know. It's just, you know, just or lo- do I even looking think or believe what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> well, and I loved, I loved what you said about belief earlier hmm. that this might be a pivot in the conversation, <laughs> but, um, can, can you say that you believe something if you don't go all in on it? Well, the context was, um, I was listening to Peter Schiff. I, I try to listen to quite a few different economic, uh, perspectives. And <clears throat> anyways, Peter Schiff, he's a gold bug guy. Gold, uh, gold bug, gold bug. Yeah. You're probably gonna have to explain. Oh that. yeah. So gold bug is someone who, uh, kind of sees gold as sort of the ultimate asset, um, that you can store your wealth in. Uh, so he would be considered a, a gold bug. Um, <clears throat> but he did, he was talking about how he sees the fed about to pivot and he, and it's not just something that I think it's something I believe. And so I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and basically make adjustments in a way that as if, and because I believe that this is going to happen, right. I'm going to maneuver my money in a place that makes it somewhat vulnerable to being judged because mm-hmm. <laughs> he will be judged whether that is if he's right or wrong, right or wrong. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which is super interesting hmm. <clears throat> where it's just theory before it's like, Oh, I think the feds going to pivot or, you know, it's like we're going to have a deflation or inflation. It's, it's like, the person who puts their money where their mouth is, they're like, no, they actually believe that because there's something that they're putting on the line in order to be judged and right. they will either lose or win. Yeah. There's something in that that's interesting. There's like a tie between the idea of if you believe something, you'll go all in on it, which is to say <clears throat> you can tell what someone believes based upon how they live their life. Hmm you know, which is kind of like a religious claim. Um, you know, that's very much the Christian doctrine. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you 
if you believe in the Christian God and the death of Jesus and the resurrection, then your life will change, mm-hmm. which is really, I guess I always thought about that as something of a, you know, God will change your life, mm-hmm. but it, it isn't so much that maybe, maybe it's more like, well, if you believe truly, then your life will change. Just like if you believe truly that a depression is coming, mm-hmm. you're going to, like, if you truly believe it, then you're, you're going to act a different way. You're going to change your life. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you don't truly believe it, maybe you're just like kind of scared of it or whatever. Maybe you don't change any of your behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it makes me think about, uh, tell me how this connects. It, so as you and I have been learning about economics and money over the last year, maybe, mm-hmm. um, we've been introduced to this concept of the velocity of money, Hmm. which is an important concept because the rate at which money changes hands has something to do with the value of money. Hmm. So just as a thought experiment, if you, you know, there's rich people and there's poor people, but if nobody ever spends any of their money, it doesn't matter the rich person isn't any richer than the poor person. Hmm. If the money's not moving, it doesn't have any value. Hmm. So maybe there's a correlation there between, between belief and action. It's like, if you believe something, but you don't do anything about it, then it doesn't matter that you believe it. Yeah. Can you even say that you believe it? Just like if you, if I have a million dollars, but no one ever spends any money, it nullifies it. It doesn't have any value at all. Yeah. The purchasing power of it is never realized. Right. That's something that's, that's super. Yeah. It's, it's, so I might believe that Dogecoin, which is a cryptocurrency has the ultimate value. But if I can't, if I don't spend it or if I don't buy it, you know, uh, or if I, if I try to spend it, nobody else will buy it from me. It's like I have a I have a skewed vision of view, uh, version of reality that this Dogecoin has value because nobody else values it. So like it, the velocity of the money is going nowhere. So I have a false belief <coughs> that this has value. That's a really good <coughs> excuse me way to put it because <coughs> we think we think of a dollar as being worth a dollar. Mm-hmm. Which what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um. Really, the dollar has its value relative to the goods and services it can procure. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's easier to think about with something like a cryptocurrency because all of those are denominated in dollars. So what's a Dogecoin worth? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like six cents or something. Eight cents. Eight cents. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Speculation on Elon closing his Twitter deal. Um, Okay. So, but if, if the velocity of Dogecoin goes to zero, Mm -hmm. people stop buying and selling it. What is it worth? Nothing. So, yeah. If I if nobody's transacting in it, then it has no value. Mm-hmm. So if I go and I t- ask you if nobody's buying or nobody's selling, even if you wanted to sell, there's no one to buy it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have you're sitting on something and you can't tell what it's worth anymore because there's no market for it. Mm-hmm. And I go to you and I say, I'll give you a penny for your Dogecoin. You're going to be like, Yeah, I'll give it to you, and the whole thing's going to crash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is super interesting in the way that 
you know, it, it would just take the, the Elon thing and, and Doge going from like six cents to eight cents. Some people would be like, that's not a lot, but it's, it's, but it's super fascinating because it's, it also is the idea that there will be, there will be value, like, because it's going to be used in the marketplace, that there will be some sort of, there will be a value attached to it that will be useful in the future. <laughs> and so there's speculation. And so the price goes up, which is interesting the whole idea of markets and, you know, how people determine the value of things. So if you have a, a government that's communist or socialist and that are somewhat determining the value of things for you, they're basically saying they know better what has value and what doesn't have value or what you should value versus something else. Right. Which is just not true. Like we all have things that we value differently. I can't tell you what you value. Me? Yeah. I mean, I know you pretty well. I can make uh-huh. guesses, yeah. but I can't tell you what you value. Hmm. You can only tell me what you value. Well, I mean, you could tell what someone values by, by what they do. Mm-hmm. Like I would say, well, that's my point is like, I might be able to derive an idea of oh, what you gotcha. value based on uh-huh. your behavior. Yeah. You know, so I was just thinking about your, your writing. Like you have like <laughs> nine pins over there, <laughs> you know, there's something that there's something that you value that, that those pins are allowing you to express. I feel very nerdy right I now. I know. But he seriously has nine, whatever you call them. Fountain pens. Fountain pens. Yeah. <laughs> But there's something that he values in, in like expressing his ideas, and this this tool is helping him do that, or helping you to do that. Right. Talking, talking about you, like the like you're not here or something. You know, so, I, so that, I feel a need to justify myself <laughs> about this. No, we we'll just we'll just just let it go. Just we'll just yeah, make fun of you. That's all. Okay, perfect. <laughs> well, he got me to buy a fountain pen last week. So, well, actually, I asked you. But yeah, I didn't even get you to. You just reached out and said. Well, you're, tell me what to get. I want to get into it. <laughs> well, you're showing me like his handwriting is amazing. So, uh, maybe he can, uh, put an Instagram post of it. And so I, I, was like, I, I did put a post up. Oh, did. I think it's yeah. on our reels. Yeah. It was like a cover of one of them. I wrote the title of the episode. Okay. Yeah. I looked at that. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, so by, by what you value, um, like I know you're, I know you value your family because mm-hmm. I see you put them, have them have a priority, you yeah. know, um, you value tonight what we do. Uh, we both set a, t- set across this time and it's somewhat sacred, you know? Right. Um, I know you value your relationship with my wife, you know, I mean, it's something that, you know, you guys are very, uh, tight with, you know, it's as far as like make time for her to hang out. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's really special. Well, my point though, is you know what I value because you observe me valuing it. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have said with the, the writing thing mm-hmm. and the pens, like I kind of got into that over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So rewind a couple of years ago. And I say, Michael, tell me what to value. <laughs> you wouldn't be like, fountain pens you're gonna value that you know like it's just Uh, that's interesting so think about what i might value next in my life you couldn't tell me you have to wait to see so if you like to tie this back to markets like if crust yeah (laughs) really i collect pizza crust you gonna finish that i tuck it away um reminds me of a gold member in austin powers Mm -hmm. he keeps dead skin (laughs) anyway um but in the market if you if you destroy the free market then you have to top down control what everything costs which is to tell people how they value it 
but you you can't you can't do that literally mm-hmm. technically you can't um so if you remove people's ability to say what they value it's the same thing as telling me what i'm going to value next year mm. and you're going to be like you know matt you're going to get really into used cars <laughs> flipping used cars or something um, i don't even i don't even know how to know what i'm going to value next yeah. you know it's it's a discovery more than it is anything else mm. you know and when i got into into writing into journaling there was two things like one, I just wanted to write more. And I, I think that there's a really important difference between writing by hand and typing on a computer. Mm-hmm. I think it changes the way that you think. And I do a lot of both. Yeah. Um, so I started writing and I realized that I had been working in the tech industry for so long that I hadn't used a pen in like 10 years <laughs> and I couldn't do it. Uh-huh. Like I could not legibly write anything. Mm. And if I could legibly write it, it was kind of like, you ever seen that movie liar liar mm-hmm. like that scene when he's fighting with the pen it's like you know forcing himself it's like a, it was like a, a it took physical effort that exhausted me and cramped my muscles and i mm-hmm. thought i don't like this and so i literally printed off kindergarten uh like page rules you know with the dotted line in the middle uh-huh. and i just like retaught myself how to write with a pen and that, you know, I, so I think it's kind of like anytime you, I invested a lot of time and energy into that too. Um, and my handwriting did get really good. Um, but then when you invest a lot of time and energy in something, you start actually paying attention to all of the parts of it. And so it's mm. like, okay, well, what pen am I going to use? Mm. Which kind of led me into fountain pens. And I really enjoyed that. And more recently it's like, okay, well, what size nib and what brand of ink and what paper am I going to write on? And this whole thing kind of explodes into, wow, there's a lot more options and, and, um, things to value here than I thought there were. Hmm. I would never have known that there's this world. It's like, you notice if you ever get into something new, like a couple of years ago, I discovered Kai Lenny, the pro surfer, oh, yeah. big wave surfer. <laughs> totally. And I was just blown away by this guy and amazed. And then like, you notice your Instagram explore page starts to becoming <laughs> become full of surfing. And I'm like, uh, I guess I like surfing. I don't know. <laughs> it's like Instagram thinks I like surfing. That same thing has now happened. Like my explore page is now full of <laughs> fountain pen. <laughs> like there's a whole world of people with tens of thousands of followers. They just post pictures of what they write mm-hmm. of their handwriting. Like, Ooh, uh, yeah. It's like porn. Right? <laughs> porn. It's wild, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and some of the downstream consequences of that are like, I've written a lot of poetry lately hmm. in the last year, which I didn't really ever write poetry. I've always been a songwriter, but not a poet. And yeah. these poems have come out. And it's like, if you, if you prepare space and time for something, you don't know what's going to grow out of it. Hmm. And things have grown out of this sort of practice of mine that have been really meaningful and important to me. And so. Well, with this, you can, again, kind of bring it back to the markets and, and the difference between sort of slavery and discovery. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah. something that markets allow us to discover what we value, not only individually, but as a community, you know, right. that, that was kind of a, that's a eureka moment for me because Nietzsche 
talks about how he doesn't think that men can create their own values. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I took it that for granted as true. I, I do believe that, but maybe this is exactly why you have to discover oh, your values. Mm-hmm. It isn't as though you create them. Uh-huh. You don't, you don't tre- like define them out of pure will and thin air. You discover them. Okay. And if you <laughs> remove people's ability to search, mm-hmm then you remove their ability to discover and to create. I mean, even with kids kind of understand that too. It's like, you can't determine what your kids value. You can kind of give them parameters and, and structure to like, Hey, this is worth valuing, but there's a certain amount of, they have to discover that for themselves also. And you have to allow a certain environment where, uh, depending, you know, age appropriate to discover what they value. Mm. So provide uh, the environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's just in growing up. Uh, but I also think I think the idea of slavery versus sort of freedom to sort of explore. But I think that's also what our governments and should be. You know, is, uh, the different structures that we have around us provide a certain amount of safety, but in the in the pursuit of exploring and trying to understand what we value. I mean, I think that's one thing that about elections that's so valuable is that you know every 2 years or every year or 4 years we're we're voting on people that sort of encompass what we think we value like mm. you know you and I just voted today and you know I don't know these people right i mean it, it, maybe if i could sit down and have a conversation with them i might be able to have a better understanding but i'm looking at what they're proposing that they value mm. and i'm like yes I think I'm more in line with how, what you value. Right. And that might change. I mean, I, I've, I, I think you and I both are fairly fit, fairly center and we can kind of go left or right in that area. And, and also depending on the time and the era we're in and which way I kind of lean, you know, as far as yeah. what I think I value and what I value at this time. Like I might value something completely different in five years from now or 10 years from now or so but I think that's the part that's very valuable is to have that freedom and that, that market to distinguish and to express what we value. What it makes me, it reminds me of why it's important that there are limitations to voting Hmm. because voting is a snapshot of what we value at that time and what you value will change as you discover it. You know, because the, the, the sort of thought experiment is, <laughs> you know, a bunch of the laws around the last presidential election were, were changed in terms of like, how early can you vote and can you vote, you know, how early can you vote by mail and what are the hours? And, you know, there's all this, it becomes this whole argument between the left and the right about racism and voter suppression and, you know, uh, rigging the election and all this. And it's like, well, no, because. <laughs> It's not any of that Mm -hmm. in principle. Like the principle is, should you be able to vote right now for the uh, 2028 election? It's like, no, (laughs) you have no idea what the world is going to be like then, Mm -hmm. who the candidates are, what's going to happen to the Democratic Party, what's going to happen to the Republican Party. It's like, you should not vote now for that. That would be foolish. Mm -hmm. Um, So there needs to be limits and where those limits should be can be debated and argued, 
but it's important that we vote at the time that the vote needs to be taken, mm. you know, and not just sort of say, because the other option is slavery. Because mm-hmm. the other option is, I'm just going to vote Democrat for the rest of my life. Whatever the Democrats want to do, they have my vote. I'm no longer a voice, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, 2028 is already decided for me. Right. Or the Democratic person running is right. who I'm voting for. Yeah. You know, which is foolish. Mm-hmm. And I think the Democrats, like, I think if you're a Democrat right now, you probably feel a little foolish about the fact that the DNC decided to run jo- Joe Biden. Mm. Just like I think a lot of Republicans in 2016 felt fairly foolish that the GOP decided to run Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So if you like your voice is important, but it's important in real time mm. uh, because the other option, the alternative to that is just the unpersoning of <coughs> the population. Mm. Yeah, you definitely have a, I, I hear a lot about people telling you what you should think and what you should do and what that, what kind of person that means you are, if you think or do a certain thing. Right. And it's interesting the the values that you have <clears throat> versus the values that somebody else puts on that decision. Mm-hmm. You know, if you voted for Trump, therefore you are this type of person. If you voted for AOC, you are this type of person and like how that sort of defines you, but which it, could there could be a, a wide array of values that you're voting for? I mean, you do have like those single party or single issue voters. You know, I might not like the person, but this issue I find very important to me, hmm. and therefore I'm voting for that person. Where someone else could interpret it as like, oh, well, you're for the death penalty. Like, no, I'm not. Right. But this this issue has to be has been is so much more important to me than that one that I'm willing to accept that person. Right. Even with, even with those places that I disagree. That's such a thinly veiled political attack. Yeah. Like, well, I'm just tired of it. Cause it's, it just happens so much in the last like, yeah. six or. Well, you're just banking years. on people's ignorance. Mm-hmm. You know, you attack. It's like, what was that? The inflation reduction act that got passed recently. And I've been hearing the Democrats say like not a single Republican voted for it. And then that gets filtered in the media as Republicans don't care about mm-hmm. inflation. They don't care about your, you know, the, the value of your bank account and your mm-hmm. ability to buy food. And it's like, if you just go read the thing, like it has nothing to do with reducing inflation, which is why the Republicans didn't vote for it. Yeah. You know, they disagreed on some issue that's buried in there, but that I don't even know what mm-hmm. the issues are that they disagreed upon, but um, that never gets surfaced. And you're trying to use that as a political attack against your opponents, banking on the fact that the people that you hope to get to vote for you w- don't know, like won't go read it, mm-hmm. which is so gross. Yeah. You know, just to bank on the ignorance of your constituents, which is a kind of an oxymoron in general. It's like the inflation reduction act means spending money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like just, we're like, going to spend money to reduce inflation. Yeah. It's Yeah. Sorry, I think you got it backwards there. The spending of the money is what's causing the inflation. <laughs> but there is an idea that you know, if you in, uh, inject money into the into the economy, that will stimulate growth. And uh, well, yeah, there's a lot of it will at the expense of inflation. At the, at the expense of the future, it's the right. same thing with debt. It's like you are you are exchanging future benefits for present 
for the present day. Mm-hmm. And you're basically saying, like, I would rather have that hundred thousand dollars now. Right. Because I think if I spend this hundred thousand dollars now, I will be able to pay that back and more where, you know, but if you don't make good investments, not only are you taking a hundred thousand dollars now and you lose that hundred thousand dollars, you will need another hundred thousand dollars again in the future. Right. When you haven't paid, I mean, that's, that's basically our, our debt that we're looking at right now is yeah. we keep putting, we keep pushing this into the future thinking that we'll make the present better in order for that future to kind of like realize itself, mm. but it's not happening. That's a good way to put it. It's like, if you need a hundred thousand dollars, you can go work mm-hmm. until you have a hundred thousand dollars. Then you've got the hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars or you can borrow but that takes time. Well, also, the, if you work for it, that means you might have to reduce some of your spending in order to have that excess, right? In order to have that hundred thousand, right? But that's but austere, it takes austere. it takes time. Or I could say I need a hundred thousand dollars and I and I need it now, mm-hmm. so I borrow it. Now I've still got to go work to make it because I've got to pay it back, but I've also got to pay interest on it. Mm-hmm. So I've actually got to do the same thing. But I've got to pay. I got to make more than the hundred thousand. So I'm, I'm purchasing time. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm, I'm speeding up that whole process to get the reward now at the expense of doing more of the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's definitely sort of like you're, you're accepting future happiness in the, in the present with the idea that that would actually bring more future happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, that, and you're agreeing to sacrifice something for mm-hmm. it. Yeah. You're agreeing to sacrifice your future mm-hmm. for the present. Right. Which is, you know, again, there's, there's, there's certain things that are, that make sense, but you have, we have to be wise and make good decisions that our actual decisions today are going to benefit our future. But all that comes at some sort of sacrifice. I think that's something that's really hard for us to grasp is that, you want to go to college and you take out a loan. Well, you have to pay that back. Hmm. You start a business and you take out a loan. It's like, well, you have to pay that back. So what you're hoping is that your business will be able to afford to pay the loan back as well as the interest. And that it will actually do more than you don't, you're not looking for just a break even like, Ooh, that was 10 years of business. I paid back the loan and I'm done. Hmm. It's like, well, that's not really a good investment. That was basically, you just bought a job, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, it's like, that's not what a business is. It's like you're, you're, it's an investment in the future that you will have actually more than what you started with, you know, mm-hmm. is the, uh, and then back to fountain. Pens. You can catch a man to fish or <laughs> teach a man to fish. Yeah. That's kind of what that is, yeah. isn't it? Uh-huh. Back to fountain pens. <laughs> this was not on the approved discussion list tonight. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Totally. <clears throat> yeah. I, I think to, again, going back to back to found pins is like, there was something in that, that caught your attention and then you started experiencing something that drew you into other areas. And that there was sort of like a, a life giving expansion of that. Yeah. Wow. If I value this pin in this way, then I'm going to value the paper. Mm-hmm. If I'm a value of the paper, it's like, well, what am I going to put on this paper? Right. And, you know, so at least for me, when I, I cause I, I both type and write and it's like typing, I'm not really concerned about taking up space or what it's going to look totally. like. It's yeah. like, it's more about information dump, 
you know, but I only have 13 pages left and then I'll have to create another journal. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. There's all these other constraints that kind of make you value your journal, your pen, yeah. your ink a lot more. And it's, it takes a lot more time. Mm-hmm. Like you can write, I don't know how many words a minute I write on the computer, probably a hundred, mm-hmm. something like that. I'm like a thousand, but that's fine. Oh, yeah, a thousand. <laughs> I really don't know. Oh, yeah. I can type pretty fast. Mm-hmm. I can type, yeah, probably about a hundred words a minute. Um, but uh, I write very slowly mm-hmm. because I have been working for a long time on my handwriting and I take it seriously. And it's like, I don't jot things down. It's like, I sit down, I sit at my desk, I, <laughs> I sit, <laughs> I, I angle the, the journal and I, you know, I take my time and I write it. So mm-hmm. it slows you down. Um, and there's the effect of whatever I write in that journal, you know, that's going to, whenever I finish the journal, it's going to go up on the bookshelf. That's a book now that lives in my home that when I die, someone will stumble upon. Hmm. So it's like, whereas when I write in my notes app, I just assume all that's <laughs> just not, it's N- nowhere. Is gonna be okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it does. It makes you think, well, what am I going to write on the page? Mm-hmm. You've know, spent all this time choosing this pen and this particular paper and this particular notebook and like sourcing it from where I got it. And so what are you going to write? And actually last night I sat down to, cause I've been, I've been journaling. I've been trying to journal every night and I've, I think I've done it for the last year or so. Just try to write something about what happened during the day. And I sat down last night and I just felt locked. Hmm. Like, what do I have to say about this day? Mm-hmm. And I think it was a, a th- this effect of like, this is important what do I have important to say? And I didn't feel like I had anything important to say, you know, because the stakes were so high. Hmm. And so I just decided to write that. Hmm. And then all of a sudden it unlocked and I was able to write. Um, But there is the danger of locking yourself inside of some need for things to be important to where you, you choke the flow. Hmm. I like that. Choke the flow. Choke the flow. (laughs) (laughs) And I think what I, I, I don't know if I can word this right, but something I was thinking last night is sometimes saying what you have to say is more important than what you think matters. Hmm. And I think that's a statement about judgment. Like your judgment about what matters sometimes gets in the way of you speaking at all. Oh yeah. And sometimes it's important just to say what you have to say. It's like the divergence and convergence. Sometimes you just have to do divergence, mm-hmm. say what you have to say. You can judge it on the other end, but you've got to create, you have to generate, you have to get ideas out to know that, to know what they are. Hmm. And then you can judge them and be like, yeah, that was, that was no good. Don't like that one at all. I actually don't believe that. I don't agree with that. You know, <laughs> or wow. Wow. I don't know where that thought came from. I didn't know I valued fountain pens. You know, I didn't, it's like you, uh, you're discovering things, yeah. but it takes that divergence and it takes giving up a little bit, like giving up some of your judgment, giving up some of your, your filtering, giving up some of your, um, self, hmm, self value, maybe hmm. self assurance. Well, I mean, Coming, coming back to that same idea of, it does seem like almost everybody has that sort of, uh, 
specialty as, as you were talking about fountain pens and paper and, and all the all the stuff you need to be able to to write you think about like a soccer player their cleats their mm-hmm. yeah their soccer ball their uh you know whatever ointments that they need to like you know afterwards mm-hmm. or whatever it is it's like there's something that once you start kind of like giving yourself to something it, it opens up a whole new world for you and and I think some people find those one or two things and that's what they do their entire life. And then other people, like I'm kind of more of a dabbler where I kind of dabble into something and discover it and I <clears throat> kind of acquire some things yeah, and then kind of move on to the next, the next thing. But yeah, to kind of bring that into my area of music, like if I put a guitar into your hands, <laughs> it's not going to make any difference what guitar I put into your hands. Totally. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but then if I teach you how to play it, you're going to learn some things about that. Mm-hmm. You're going to learn about the action of the strings and how it makes a difference. And you're really going to struggle. And then if I, if you struggle through a week or two weeks or three weeks of playing and I've given you a really shitty guitar and then I put a nicer guitar in your hands, mm-hmm. you're going to be like, holy shit. Mm. But on day one, you wouldn't have noticed the difference. Or appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's only until you acquire some understanding of something that that world starts to reveal itself to you, mm. you know, and then you, you know, it's like, so I was a, a classical guitar major mm. in my undergrad and, um, it's like my classical guitar professor had a guitar that was worth something like $25,000 mm. and he let me play it one time but he had a sock that he had cut the end off of and he made it put it on, made me put it on my forearm Hmm. to cover my skin so that my skin wouldn't sit on the guitar because the guitar was varnished in something that was literally made from crushed butterfly wings. (laughs) (laughs) No way. Way. Oh goodness. Okay. And and it's like, (laughs) you know, what, why uh-huh. that's ridiculous, you know, but no, it's not, mm-hmm. it's, it was valuable. Mm. Like you want to put a monetary number. It's like, I just did. It's super yeah. valuable, but he was a master. Mm-hmm. He was really good. Right. And you get that good at something. You understand all the complexities and all of the nuances, and you can actually use them mm. to make that instrument sound better. You know, and you think about people who make instruments in the, the extents they'll go to, to like discover some new varnish or like, well, what if we crush up some butterfly wings? <laughs> you know, it'll make this tiny difference in the sound of the guitar that almost no one will notice mm-hmm. except for someone like him or even like me, you know, cause when I was in my undergrad for four years, I was practicing classical guitar, something like four to six hours a day. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, at that time I was very in tune mm-hmm. with what that instrument sounds like. So I would notice small differences. I probably wouldn't anymore, but that's super awesome. Well, again, I think that's something that, uh, you know, yeah. What you appreciate when you actually understand something versus, you know, even, even the things that we do that seem arbitrary. Like when we go to a concert, we all dress up. Hmm. The person on the stage is dressed up. You're like, Oh, well they could come out with a, in a, in a shirt and, you know, shorts or something like that. Well, why is that? 
He's like, no, we're framing this in a way that something about this is important. Something mm-hmm. about this is ritualized. And so it kind of adds to the, so it's, it's, it doesn't even have to do with like the butterfly polish or the <laughs> guitar. Or right. like, it's like a, it's almost like a inconsequential or surface level sort of thing that we put on top of it. But it's sort of, we try to, it's like a temple that's being built that we're going to worship in mm-hmm. this space. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's just, it even comes down to things that are somewhat arbitrary versus things that are also practical in the strings that you have or all the guitar right. stuff that you were just talking about. Like, that actually makes a difference, even though other people might not know or appreciate it. Yeah. People who do know will really appreciate it. Well, but I think the people who don't know and don't know how to appreciate it, they still appreciate yes. mm-hmm. the, the end product. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like I'm very specific in particular about the kind of strings, the brand of strings mm-hmm. that I'll put on my guitar and the, the gauge of the strings in if you give me someone else's guitar and also there's something with instruments where you you develop a relationship with them like i play my personal guitar Mm -hmm. and i know exactly how to get it to ring the way that i want it you give me someone else's guitar and maybe it's just as nice or nicer i i I don't know the instrument Mm -hmm. and so i don't know how to really make it do what i want it to do yeah so i'm going to play very differently on that instrument than i'll play on mine and you'll be able to tell the difference mm-hmm. and you won't know why, you know, and maybe I can tell explain it. to you that, well, this has this kind of string and this gauge. And so it doesn't ring the way that I like it to ring. And so I couldn't really like carry that, the momentum of that vibration into the slide up the neck. And it's like, I could get very technical about it, but, mm-hmm. um, you would notice. Or even when you have someone explain that to you, I mean, I've had, you've had, you've explained a lot of those things to me from, from music. Uh, I do remember this one time when Mark Stoney, uh, who we've had on the episode, or like very way at the beginning, like episode three or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. Uh, he was telling me that uh, another friend of mine, his name's, uh, do you know Evan Jacobs? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, he, he played for Polyphonic Spree. He's, but, anyways, Mark was telling me that, that Evan Jacobs is sort of like, he's like the musician's musician. Yeah. And, and he started walking me through and talking to me, telling me like why that is. And I was like, I would never have seen this, but a musician would be like, Oh, did you just catch that? Right. He just did a fourth on an eighth in a, in a third moment. I don't know what that means. <laughs> None of that. Meant <laughs> Where, like, anything. Where, like, I'm like, I could appreciate it. Like, like yeah. Oh, that's man. There's something really special about that. I have no idea. But a musician is just going, no, how did he carry that? Yeah. And maybe like, you know, Prince is, Prince is one of those. I, from what I understand. <laughs> well, Prince is interesting because he is a musician's musician, but he's also a people's musician. You know, he's one of the most famous rock musicians of the last, uh, what since rock and roll began. Who would you describe as a musician's musician? Uh, the name that came to mind when you just said that was Daniel Lanois, <laughs> who produced a lot of U2's albums, especially in the early days. Okay. But his solo stuff is really incredible. Um, most people don't know who he is or haven't heard his solo material. I mean, it's not pop. Mm-hmm. It's not popular. Yeah. But it's vastly fascinating. Hmm. I love it. Yeah. But it's interesting, like, in all these different, like, nuanced categories, mm-hmm. those people who are experts in those places know who those people are. Right. Well, there's something sad about it too, though, because 
<clears throat> spending as much time in the music industry as I have and going to music school, like there is a part of me that's sort of like unfortunately elite mm-hmm. and I don't like it. You know, like I'll hear, like I'm very, uh, I'll get very annoyed by snare drum sounds mm-hmm. if they're bad. And the nineties was full of terrible snare drum sounds. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why they chose to make their drum sound that way, but it's like, it ruins a song for me. Oh, wow. You know, and it could be like a really great popular song. I think, I can't think of an example at the moment, but people love it. You know, they love listening to it. They're getting something from it. And yeah. I'm just totally hung up on the snare sound. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot just turn that shit off. I can't listen to it. You know, it's like, becoming well-versed in something can ruin you from some more childlike enjoyment of it. Mm. And there's a negative in there. Like scotch or wine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it's the same thing. It's like you drink a good wine. It might ruin you from the two buck chuck that you've been buying at Trader Joe's. I know I've said this many times. Like my dad, we, we go for Christmas or, uh, you know, to, we go to the beach once a year as a family and, and we just have these amazing wines and then we always go home and drink the Boda box, the Boda box. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, and you really do know that like, oh. you don't enjoy it as much. anymore. Yeah. yeah. And then you get acclimated back to the Boda box and you're like, okay, I'm okay with this. <laughs> <laughs> just power through. Just we'll get used to it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But there's also a price tag to it. I think that's something with that kind of symbolizes that, that, that excellence in excellence, it's going to cost you something. And sometimes it's dollars. Mm. Sometimes it's time. Well, it's back to that idea of sacrifice. Mm. Yeah. You're either going to sacrifice your future for what you want now, mm. or you're going to sacrifice what you want now for your future. Mm. It's yeah. like, it can't be any other way. God. And you think of any artist or anybody, what well, I think you and I, are, like, we see what is possible or what could be. And you don't ever appreciate where you are at the moment because when you're in the pursuit of excellence, even though you might have a uh, sort of attained a certain amount of excellence, it becomes more and more apparent how lacking you are of the excellence that could be. Mm. Well, because you have you get a clearer picture of the mm-hmm. excellence, and you, you and the mirror is like shown to you as you experience excellence that. You're so far. You're from, further from it than you thought. thought yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. You know, cause I just think of when I first started in business, you know, I am 135,000 better business person than I was when I first started. <laughs> 135,000 better. <laughs> Wait, 135,000 what? It has to be ridiculous. I have to say <laughs> really ridiculous because it's 135,000 units better. <laughs> <laughs> but when I look at myself now, like even like we were talking, Matt and I were talking some accounting stuff earlier <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't Another know Another nerd stuff. alert. Like <laughs> we, were, we were really getting excited about it. <laughs> like I'm 44 years old and I just learned this. Yeah. It's like, what the hell? Hmm. You know, but you think about all the things that you, you, that you don't, that you don't know, but as you are in pursuit of excellence, it's going to be revealed. You're going to be judged Mm. because what you're putting before you is always higher than what you're actually at. Oh, that's so good. It's like, it's the same idea. Everything's pretend until it's judged. Mm. If you pursue excellence, it will show you who you really are. (laughs) You will be judged. (laughs) Both who you could be and who you currently are. And it's that judgment that defines. Mm. Like, I think something that I'm sad about is that in our, 
in our culture right now, the word judgment is bad. Hmm. It, it, it carries negative connotation. Same with the word consequence. Hmm. And I don't think that either are inherently bad. Yeah. I think mm, discrimination is another one. Mm-hmm. Judgment can be bad. Consequences can be bad. Discrimination can be bad. Mm-hmm. But you also, there can't be anything good without them either. Mm. So you have to apply wisdom. I mean, wisdom is important with all three of those things. Totally. Um, but yeah, I am who I am because I, I have been judged to be so. And that's horrifying in some ways because I'm much worse than I'd like to be. Mm. But it's also hopeful because I've, you know, the judgment has shown promise, let's say. Mm-hmm. I definitely see the idea of judgment and consequences. If it's arbitrary, that's infuriating. Infuriating, uh, a judgment that's, that's, that doesn't have any sort of like... Well, if it's arbitrary, that's not judgment. That's prejudice. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Prejudice is pre-judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if, if you... <clears throat> You know, so if, if you go to a, a musician <clears throat> that knows what they're doing and they judge you and say, wow, that's really not good. You can either walk away from that person and be like, what the hell does he know? You know, she's stupid or whatever it might be. But if you, but if you accept that sort of judgment from somebody who is actually better than you, you only benefit from that. And so there's a humility that we all must have, yeah. especially when we come under righteous judgment, which is that the, the, the musician who is somewhat above you. It's like, there's a certain righteous judgment that they give you and it's for your better. It's not mm. for, you know, that you become worse. Well, maybe it's like wisdom. <clears throat> wisdom dictates that we, be careful about what we judge. Hmm. You know, so if, um, sadly, none of my kids play an instrument, (laughs) but if they did, let's say my 11 year old comes to me and she's worked out how to play a song on the guitar. And she says, what do you think? Mm -hmm. It's important to know what it is that I'm judging. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because if I'm judging, let's say her playing ability against mine, Mm -hmm. I'm going to crush her. You suck. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> so, and that's the truth, right? Uh-huh. It's like, yeah, no, you, no, you suck. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what I'm judging. Yeah. What I'm judging is her progress mm. against who she used to be. Yeah. I'm judging the fact that she didn't used to know that song, didn't used to know how to play it, and mm. now she does. And it's like, that's amazing that you did that. Mm. And then you can, after that, say, Try doing, moving your hand this way. Mm-hmm. You might, I noticed you were struggling with that uh, transition between the G chord and the C chord. Try just rotating your wrist like this and see how that feels. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm judging you. I'm saying the way you play that is lacking. Mm. It could be better. So here's, here's a suggestion. Mm. Um, so that's a judgment, but it's not, it's not a simple judgment. Like you suck. Mm-hmm. It's, I've judged that there is an area of improvement which I can speak to. Hmm. And so I'm going to speak to it. Yeah. That's such a great point as far as understanding, especially somebody who has expertise in a place is, is understanding what that, 
what that person needs in that specific situation, like an 11 year old is not the same as dealing with a 20 year old mm-hmm. or a 30 year old right. or somebody who has been practicing and learning for, you know, 30 years. And actually they need a little bit harsher judgment. Right. You totally. Know? They just need to be told, I'm sorry, you suck. Yeah. And maybe that's the fire that actually gets them to say, I'm going to prove you wrong hmm. because maybe what they need is to change their life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like maybe what they need is to practice more and in order to practice more, they need to get up earlier and in order to get up earlier, they need to stop drinking and in order mm-hmm. to stop drinking, they need to stop hanging out with the people they're with. And in order to stop hanging out with the people they're with, they have to make new friends. And it's like that can spiral into a world changing thing. And you can't go, you need to change your whole life, mm-hmm. but maybe you could just finally admit that, sorry, you suck. <laughs> and it's like maybe that's, that's what actually tips the domino that changes everything. God. I mean, just thinking about the, the negative aspect of that too, where like someone's kind of tearing somebody down where like in the instant that we're talking about right now is that we're pu- kind of putting a crossroads in front of you. Do you want to, do you want to get better? Mm-hmm. And if you want to get better, here's what you need to do. Uh, because if I want to play Carnegie hall or I don't know, whatever the, the <laughs> epitome of, of, of playing somewhere, someone who's played there 12 times is going to tell me a lot more accurately how I can achieve that than someone who's never played there at all or ever, you know? And so I would value that information, you know, and, and maybe there's times in our life where we need to like shift and move in a different direction It's like, you say you want to do this. I don't believe you Mm -hmm. because if, if you, if you did, then you would, you would, you would want to kind of push beyond Mm -hmm. this. And so there's a challenge of belief. And I think that's something too, is like in our culture right now is that you can't challenge what people believe or what they, their truth is like, there's something, there's something, uh, counterculture or, 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 um, I don't know, negative to that if you challenge somebody's truth, you know, it's like, it's like, well, no, actually that's not true. Like, like you might believe you're the best musician. You're really not. And like, you need to be able to like, I mean, that musician's not a great example. There. Well, it's an interesting point though. I mean, you're right. Like in a lot of corners of the culture, <clears throat> you're not allowed to challenge what people believe. But I was listening to, uh, Brett Weinstein has two recent, episodes out where he's talking to uh, people in the military Mm -hmm. about what's going on with the vaccine mandates Mm -hmm. because the military is still mandating the vaccine, even Mm -hmm. though civilian world is kind of past that. Mm -hmm. And they were all, they were all talking about how they didn't want to take the vaccine. And so they applied for religious accommodation and it was either denied or put in purgatory, like not responded to. And it's like, in that case, what you believe, which is what the freedom of religion is about, it's about you should be able to believe what you believe. Um, that's not being tolerated. Hmm. So it's like the cultural, the progressive cultural voice is saying, my truth is my truth and you must respect it and acknowledge it. Unless your truth is the wrong truth, (laughs) you know, yeah, which betrays the whole position. 
Who did you think I was talking about when you responded Eric. that way? I was, like, uh, I was like, oh, he's got a podcast. Yeah, Brett's brother, Eric, yeah. had started a podcast called The Portal mm-hmm. and then hasn't put out an episode in like two years. And I think there's a lot of people who would love for him to continue. But yeah, he's so great. He's very contentious and he's very confrontational. Yeah. But you definitely see he means well. He almost wants to like agitate you to the point where something breaks open. Yeah. I mean, even sometimes I get annoyed with them, but like, but I just, I feel that sort of an- almost anxiousness, like, or that to like, I want something to kind of like snap into like a whole nother, into the portal. I can mm. open a por- portal. Like he wants to open those portals. Well, that's why he named it the portal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> okay. Maybe, maybe this is a good place to wrap it up. Actually. Okay. I think the thing I like about Eric Weinstein so much is he sees something that most people don't see. Mm. And he's wise enough to know that he can't just make people see it. Mm. He has to agitate them into wanting to see it. It's like, you can't just show someone a door and expect them to walk in. Mm -hmm. You have to give them reason to walk in. They have to see a reason. And I feel like that's why he's agitating. It's not that he agitates me. It's that he is trying to agitate me. Mm-hmm. He's trying to agitate people. He's trying to wake them up to, to ask the questions that he can answer. Hmm. Because like I think Morpheus the, and, uh, and Neo. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So <clears throat> Lex Friedman talks about how he has a lot of friends who he's never met. Hmm. He just knows them because they're podcasters mm-hmm. and he listens to a lot of podcasts. And I kind of feel similarly. <laughs> totally. And I kind of feel like Eric Weinstein is on the other side of that. Hmm. It's like, he's trying to make new friends. He's like, can you wake up enough to start talking with me about the things I want to talk about. Hmm. And he's doing it at, at scale. Um, which leads me to this quote I want to read from C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves, which we're doing a book club on right now. Hmm. <clears throat> which actually we talked about starting the episode tonight with this quote, but hmm. end it. hey, <laughs> we'll end it instead. Um, so in The Four Loves, he he goes through... Oh shit. I don't know if I can say what they all are. Charity, friendship, Eros, Eros being romantic love. And then do you remember what the fourth is? Eros, is that erotic love? Yeah. Romantic. Romantic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember. I know those three. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So he's talking about friendship and he says, in this kind of love, as Emerson said, do you love me? Means, do you see the same truth? Or at least... Do you care about the same truth? The man who agrees with us that some question, little regarded by others, is of great importance can be our friend. He need not agree with us about the answer. Hmm. And the thing I love about that is, do you agree on the question? It's not do you agree on the answer. Do Hmm. you agree on the question? If you see the same question, then we're friends. And I feel like that's what Eric's trying to do. Hmm. He's trying to say, do you see the question? 
And maybe for you to see the question, I have to agitate you a little bit Mm. to push on you. I have to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. And I love that. And I feel like Eric is my friend. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Well guys, thanks for coming out to the shores. Cheers. Yeah. Love y'all. Love you all. Good night. Good night. I can take the drink anyway, whether it's in here or not. It's like, cheers. (laughs) Did you take it? I did. Yeah. Uh